Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss uh, the internet, technology, uh, our very freedoms and liberties. Um, an interesting show tonight. Uh, we're excited to get into it. We do have with us uh, Ro. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Warren. How are you? Doing pretty good. Um, have you had a, a fair week in tech? How's it been? Yeah, um, uni is back and it's exciting to be actual mm. on-site uni. So I'm buried mm. in all things Moodle and student emails and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually working a lot better than it did in past times. So enjoying tech at the moment. Can I ask, like, is there a, um, do they try and simulate the kind of quadrangle experience these days um, with universities? Do you have like, are you, is there like a forced community and what does that look like? There's a little bit of that, but it's not as bad as it could be. Like I've, um, I've actually freelanced for other universities that have tried very hard to gamify it and do all sorts of stuff and it mm. just doesn't quite hit the mark. But here mm. it's just like, eh, we've got a student Instagram account. We've got a private Facebook group if you can be bothered, but otherwise mm. here's a free T-shirt. Have a nice time. Oh, so it's actually it pretty simple. good, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, how are you tonight? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Warren. How are you? Good. Looking sharp. Did you have a haircut? Is I have. Uh, had my ears lowered, actually. Um, right. Similar <laughs> effect, similar looking effect, though. Practical. Yes, very much so. Um, how about yourself? Have you been hitting up the games uh, this week? Yeah, I've been playing Doom Eternal again, and I've started a new job, so uh, they give me a work uh, laptop, which is my first ever work laptop, oh. and uh, I spilled a cup of water on it almost instantly, and I oh, thought I had ruined it, but I just... Dried it out in the sun and it was all yeah. good. No, that is the procedure. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're supposed to do on the first day, <laughs> yeah. throw something on it. Yeah. That's yeah. standard. Yeah. Um, I'll be with you also uh, on Warren Davies. Um, but yeah, what's, what's in store for us tonight, Ro? It looks good. So tonight we're talking about the Online Safety Act, which has been pushed, let's be frank, freakishly fast through the system. And we do take a look at what it's really going to mean for punters. Um, so we're interviewing the people that these measures hit first. Then we get immersive into the world of VR and look at how music is going to shape some very close to come upcoming VR experiences. Nice. Looking forward to that. Um, but we do have uh, a bit of news, uh, as usual. Um, this one I had to read twice, but I thought because of that, it is worth having a chat about. Um, China is a step closer to cracking down on uh, data collection by uh, app developers, um, both locally and uh, internationally. Um, this week, the uh, country's cybersecurity watchdog, make of that what you will, um, uh, is seeking comment um, on the range of user information that apps um, Anything from sort of, you know, food services to ride hailing to, um, I don't know, um, hookup apps or whatever um, actually collect on people. Um, so they've got a proposed data protection law. I, I read this with my jaw on the floor. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Same. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, take it at face value. I, I, you know, I'd like to be optimistic about it that um, um, this is, um, uh, as the pixels say it is. Um, yeah, there is a proposed data protection law. Um there's an interesting statement from um, the, the sort of Central Communist Party. Um, some leaking of personal information has resulted in economic losses for individuals when the information is used to swindle the targeted individual of his or her money, said the party paper. With increasingly advanced technology, the collection of personal information, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so just like a, a very carefully worded statement about um, maybe this is not the thing that we all signed up for or sort of um, wanted uh, in our services. Um, 
But uh, some of the things that um, are considered necessary uh, for different types of apps, um, sort of as outlined by Chinese law, uh, navigation location, uh, ride hailing the user's uh, registered user's real identity, messaging the registered user's real identity and contact list. That's full on. Um, payment, uh, real identity, uh, I don't know, that seems okay. Um, online shopping, real identity, payment details, information about the recipient, name, address, phone. Yeah, so all of these things are being um, considered and uh, uh, is up for conversation now and I guess reform. So I don't know, Jaws, Jaws back in proximity to one another. What, what, <laughs> what, what, what do you folks think about this? I just find it weird that it's China leading the charge on this thing, is uh, like, and the coming from their uh, official newspaper as well. Uh, maybe it's uh, they don't want too many kids in the pool while they're the ones, uh, you know, who want to collect all the data themselves or something like that. Uh, it just seems very liberal of a um, communist-run government. Yeah, who's mm. who's also been completely famous about, you know, their social credibility scores and yeah. facial recognition in the street to make sure you're being a responsible adult and good citizen. So it's a interesting take for sure. Mm. It's kind of funny. Like, we, you know, we've been seeing stuff along these lines from um, uh, Silicon Valley and, and other places around the world for a long time. And it seems like they're all reading from the same songbook. Um, we should not be doing the things that we've been doing and making a lot of money on from a long time. Um, bad, bad us. We should not be doing that. Um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, but just when you start to get excited about yay, Silicon Valley going to be responsible citizens and it's flying all the way to China. No. Um, <laughs> so Amazon drivers, as of midnight US time last night, um, have to accept the terms and conditions that they accept biometric monitoring or lose their jobs. So for our listeners at home who aren't hundred percent clear on what biometric monitoring is, biometrics is effectively, um, you know, photos, fingerprints, voice patterns, those kinds of things that, uh, you know, are used to identify you, whether it's your um, lovely scanners going through passport clearance or your voice ID when you ring up the ATO to have a squabble over your latest tax refund. Um, They're now literally having to tick a box to say, yep, we're happy for our images, our movements, our everything to be taken or, or they're out of a job. So... You know, some of Silicon Valley's shaping up, but some of it's continuing to not necessarily shine like the brightest star in the sky. Yeah. Just reminds me, we all did sign up to um, let federal government know where we are during COVID times, but um, how do we rescind that? I don't remember instructions did, on that. Did it, did it, did it work, though? <laughs> well, I reckon they know where we are. They just couldn't tell us where the bug was. Yeah. <laughs> that was the problem. <laughs> Kind of important to the spec. <laughs> anyway. Oh, absolutely. And um, speaking of vehicles, the Tesla semi-trailer is coming, um, but it will probably never be seen on Australian roads. So Tesla is in the process of rolling out an absolute beast of a very shiny-looking semi-trailer, um, but it's two inches too wide for Australian roads, so we'll probably never get it out here. So, What does that even mean, two inches too wide? It doesn't fit. On what? Our roads. <laughs> Don't we have some big roads? We do have some big roads, but apparently not quite big enough. Mm. Yeah, there's mm. some legislation around maximum sizes. Um, mm. And, yeah, t- Tesla got ambitious. Shock horror. It's got to be an absolute tank. Although this is a little off topic, but it reminds me of a story I heard about how the International Space Station is technically constrained by the measurements of a horse's ass because uh, through Roman times they used the uh, chariot size. 
Uh, they went over uh, to England. They used that. England dominated the world. They sh- sh- spread their roads everywhere. Everyone just kept using that standard distance. Mm. Uh, there was a part of the International Space Station that was um, constructed and then had to be shipped by train, mm. but it had to be fit through a train tunnel, which was the width of two horses' asses mm. going <laughs> dating back. So we're mm. still like using measurements like that or Love it. the echoes of... Uh, primitive measurements like that mm. anyway uh that's got that's neither here yeah. nor there well it makes countries that don't use the metric system make a bit, little bit more sense yeah. you know we, we can we can bag out the the u.s for using you know gallons and feet and all that kind of stuff it's like still a little bit better than two horses butts yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so ios finally lets you unlock your iphone with a mask on um, a few weeks back, Apple released iOS 14.4.1 with a specific and mysterious security fix. The company has now finally dropped a more robust update, iOS 14.5, uh, with the promised mask unlocking feature. Um, so this uh, this update, along with the Watch OS 7.4, lets you unlock your device when you have a face mask on by integrating with your Apple Watch. This means that Technically, it's the watch that's unlocking your phone and not so much the, uh, the scanning of, on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, something that Apple's promised and now has finally brought to um, market with what are, is their best fix, I guess. So if you don't have an Apple Watch, you're still going to pull your mask down every time you want to scan in. Yeah, use your face ID. Yeah. Yeah, so imperfect fi- fix, really. So, so basically, if you lose your watch, your phone's unlocked. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I'm sure Apple are not all that sad about getting you to shell out for another spectacularly expensive but highly integrated piece of kit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm, I think they think they're doing us all a favour by now. You have to get the watch. Yeah. Do, do either of you, I'm not sure sort of what, what platforms you guys are on, but use Face Unlock? Your phone? No. Do you use no. it? Do you see anyone using it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of people use it. Oh, okay. My sister uses it, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, but I don't want to give them my face data or my mm. like thumb fingerprint scan. Mm. Um, yeah. But you know, there's actually like advanced complex gestures as well, like double taps on the back and stuff. To um, we can have another show on this. Oh, it seems yeah, it seems like it just did it for your phone then, or maybe um, not. I don't know. No, but you can actually. Yeah, yeah. There's so There's many secret squirrel show. features. You know, I'm I'm even late to Animal Crossing, <laughs> and the amount of googling I've been doing to you know figure out how to lure sharks in is ridiculous. You know, more intuition with these secret life hacks. Yeah, I say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another little bit of news is Discord is on the market, but you're going to have to act fast and have a very fat wallet because there's a $10 billion asking price on it. Um, so uh, conversations have been going on for a while with multiple parties. Apparently it's in um, sort of the tail end of negotiations, but Discord's been very stealthy about it. And there's probably not going to be a huge amount of change to the platform. So those of you who use Discord, it'll probably change hands, but probably not too much happen. Mm. I've seen, uh, yeah, people like uh, Microsoft are interested in the in the purchase. Which mm. who's to say how that would go if they were to get it? Uh, history does not bode well. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Triple R. And so we're going into our first interview, and tonight we're going to be talking to um, Gala Vanting, who's the National Programs Manager of Scarlet Alliance, the Australian Sex Workers Association, as well as Cy Jaden Lilith, who's um, an escort, prodom, pornographer, performer, educator, and musician. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, um, 
I guess tonight's show has got has, has got the chance to dive into a pretty deep discussion. So uh, for our listeners at home to wrap a little bit of context around it, on March the 12th, the Senate committee recommended that the online safety bill be passed without any meaningful amendments, despite some pretty vigorous feedback and objections. Neither of the two relevant Senate, Senate committees sorry, had reviewed it. The public consultation processes were incredibly rushed. And in short, there's a lot in this bill but it provides a huge amount of power to the eSafety office and next to no oversight, as well as the ability to block, remove and censor. And similar bills overseas have caused a huge amount of harm, especially to sex workers. Uh, One interesting comment from the Australian Lawyers Alliance um, in their submission was that the proposed scheme has significant overreaches and Australians need to understand the real-world ramifications of this bill. And so we've invited our guests um, to have a talk about the issue So it's almost like, where do we start? But I did want to start with, um, does the sex industry get unfairly pit against safety? (laughs) Does anyone want to have a stab at that huge one? (laughs) I I think there is definitely a willingness, um, and of course it's very rarely articulated, but a, a willingness to um, sacrifice sex worker safety and livelihoods for a um, presumption or appearance of safety for other people. Um, And I guess, you know, at Scarlet Alliance, we would suggest that those things can exist um, at the same time. And this bill doesn't quite seem to grasp that, nor do a lot of the people who who are arguing for its swift path. For sure. Um, do you, like, obviously the bill has been, like, even in the name online safety bill, you know, was theoretically put up to ensure the so-called online safety of children, but um, do you feel that it goes way past the bounds of what's necessary there? Um, I think the the bill definitely prescribes a whole lot more power um, than it seems to intend to use um, and that that overreach and overcapture um, unfortunately is most likely to have unintended consequences for um, for sex workers in the sex industry. Um, I think that there are lots of things that about the bill that are commendable. I think, um, you know, it's, it's extremely important that we um, are able to respond um, quickly, but also fairly and equitably to harms that are um, committed using digital platforms. Um, but I think also, you know, the, the, we, we really go into a bit of a hand-wringing, um, think of the children's sort of space when mm. we talk about, um, you know, when, when we um, classify all sexual content or all content that has any kind of reference to sexuality um, as potentially uh, as harmful. Um, and that's one of the things that we take the strongest issue with and something that, that we think the bill does really poorly um, is that it, it, its classifications are very wide for the types of adult content that it considers to be harmful. For sure. Well, with regards to the width of that, um, you know, side, I'm interested in talking about this with you, is that Australia's already got really strict video classification laws and if the online safety bill passes, they can theoretically order Steam to remove really amazing, well-respected games like Disco Elysium because it depicts a bit of drug use. Um, You know, what's your take on that? Uh, 
Yeah, well, I mean, the classification laws in Australia are definitely archaic and outdated. Um, you know, it's it's an example of an adult-only game being banned instead of getting an R-rated classification, which is incredibly hypocritical considering the amount of movies and media that we have that depict drug use in various forms and with various, um, you know, ethical and moral slants to them. Um, you know, the game the, the game itself is, like, amazing and groundbreaking and thought-provoking. It is the sort of game that, you know, I'd like to see more of because it actually challenges a lot of, like, game tropes and things. Um, but regardless of artistic merit, because, you know, focusing on that actually creates this hierarchical view of art and what is deemed worthy of being allowed and stuff, you know... Um, yeah, the fact that it's aimed at adults, um, it should ver at the very least be afforded an R rating. You know, why why are we being treated like children um, when we're you know consenting adults with will and agency? You know, um, and and this is could affect like you know any games with sexual content. Um, you know, um, there's there's already you know a range of games that um, like Disco Elysium is being refused classification in Australia in its like really re-released form because it's going to hit like consoles and things like that. Um, but it is still available on Steam. But if the bill passes, it won't, it, it could be removed from Steam. Like the commission has the power to do that. Uh, Galler and say it's Warren here. I, I'd be interested to know um, that the origin or the, I guess the theory behind the, the online safety act, I do remember talking about sort of Foster Sester um, on, on the show maybe four years ago, five years ago now. Is it, is it the kind of um, the, the kind of pull through from that political thought that um, this is the best thing to do for the, to prevent the sort of greatest harm here? What, what, what why has this landed in Australia? I thought we got rid of this junk years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, look, we have definitely had a, quite a lot of precedent for this um, in, the, in the growth of the um, Office of the E-Safety Commission. Um, and I think that's, that's um, the, the, uh, her scope has expanded a number of times over the last, I think, since 2015 or maybe 2017. Mm. Um, and so this is another kind of addition of that. Um, but also, I guess, you know, we had this groundwork in classifications um, as well. And we have always had a pretty... Um, Look, uh, a pretty sketchy classification code, um, and and we've seen the effects of um, how that can really homogenise the type of um, adult content that's avail available to Australian viewers, the types of bodies that we see, the types of acts that we see, um, and and I think that can have a really kind of phobic and shaming effect on lots of bodies and sexualities, genders sexual practices, um, and, it, and, and it does exactly the opposite of what we need, which is to create really robust, rigorous, and consent-driven discussions about sex and, sex and sexuality in Australia. And we've never really taken that approach, um, even when, when you know, we were only talking about broadcast, print, and, and video games. Interesting. Uh, does the, um, I mean, this is like really sort of, you know, background stuff here, I, I guess, but... Um, do, do you think Australians have an appreciation of what sort of safe sort of sexual content is sort of online online or offline? It's very easy for the government to say the three-letter word and sort of people sort of, you know, presume to do the right thing um, awkwardly or, or, or not. 
do, do places like Scarlet Alliance sort of um, engage the the general public around sort of what sort of what is safe and what is good? It was very interesting what you said up front about um, uh, sex, sex work online and and sex work in general. Um, sexual content in games can coexist with safe, you know, a safe community. Um, what what do you do to advocate in that way? And is it getting ground? I'm just trying to imagine a, a lot of the people who support the industry are not going to be the first people to come forward and say, hey, you know. I, you know, I'm a customer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a familiar. I'm a, you know, a confidant. All of these things. Um, yeah. How do you lobby in this space? I guess is the question. Sure. I mean, so Scarlet Alliance um, is the Australian Sex Workers Association. We advocate on behalf of the rights of all sex workers, um, mm. and so that's kind of where our advocacy is focused. In the case of the online safety bill, um, you know, I think what we're really looking for is um, to it, we're taking a harm reduction approach, more or less. Um, we are trying to minimize the potential damage to sex worker livelihoods and also to um, the safety issues um, and community connection and peer education issues that come from losing access to um, digital platforms that have network work effect, um, places mm. where we all are and where we all can be connected. Um, I think there is definitely a hesitation from the general public um, and from members of parliament to back um, to back sex worker perspectives on this issue. Um, and that is... Uh, you can just I imagine the party whip sort of, you know, <laughs> tapping on the shoulder in the cafeteria going, good speech on, on that, but, you know, you might just want to sort of tone it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think also, you know, there's so much stigma that surrounds um, sex work and sex workers. There's stigma that surrounds porn. There's stigma that surrounds porn consumption. Um, and, and I think that can really... Um, and, and also there's a lot of shaming of people who do want to actually stand up for the rights of sex workers and for the rights of adults to um, to access sexual content um, because you are positioned as someone who is therefore not thinking of the children or someone who is anti-safety. Um, and so we, we kind of create these poles that you have to oscillate between um, that are largely constructed. Yeah, mm. it's, it's a kind of, you know, false, false choice, you know. It really is. I think especially when we move um, away from won't you think of the children, we'll maybe dive straight into it really. But, um, you know, talking about sex education, um, especially the ability to access either accurate or explicit sex ed material. Um, and then there's also the risk of overcapture, which, you know, which, for example, the recent Facebook pulling down, a, you know, a ton of pages overnight over, um, you know, the good old bargaining code, as well as, you know, the death of Tumblr when Tumblr went very G-rated and not only shut down all of the good stuff that, frankly, we all went to Tumblr for, but... Um, every, what is this thing you're talking about? This magical thing, yeah, as well as just about every other page in existence. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to hear um, your thoughts around that sex education piece. What, what are the genuine risks for children and their ability to access accurate, useful sex education material? Um, so access to you know, sex education materials that's diverse and accurate is mm. so important. You know, not all people, you know, are given the opportunity to know about the practicalities and nuances of just purely heteronormative sex, let alone queer, BDSM, kink and alternate forms of sexuality, you know, whether it's repressive upbringing, conservative community or just the breadth of information that's out there based on what you're specifically looking for. Um, and I just want to mention as well that the online safety bill doesn't just cover images and videos, but publications. 
Um, so the written word is actually also considered part of the bill. Which is um, massive, yeah. Yeah, and, and not just that. It covers private communications like emails, messenger, and SMS. Um, you know, so it, it, if someone privately approached me for you know, educational material and I gave it to them, like, that could be picked up or, you know, um, that could be, like, retracted or whatever. Um, you know, and education isn't just about a teacher-student relationship mm. or a one-way dialogue like that. It's also about having discussion groups where, you know, people can get together and share their experiences and, you know, incorrect or dangerous assumptions can be discussed and shut down. Um, you know, those, those sorts of groups are also going to be under fire and under attack, um, potentially with the bill. I think also one of the things that really um, that's really important to acknowledge here is the um, you know that there are a number of um, ways of delivering safe and appropriate sex education to young people, and that really has a lot to do with um, development and cultural context um, and educational context, and we can't really create this one size fits all approach. Um, and I, you know, um, I think that the um, Electronic Frontiers Australia submission to the online safety bill talked a little bit about um, the, you know, that, that we are basically saying there are two categories of people, um, that there are people over 18 and there are people under 18. Um, and to treat um, a 17 year old the same way you would treat a five year old um, doesn't really seem to be a very precise or appropriate way of, of legislating. Um, and, and I do agree with that. I think that, that we, and, and we called for this in, um, in our Senate committee hearing, um, you know, we, we need to actually approach this from an evidence-based perspective. We need to look at the interdisciplinary research around what is appropriate for young people at what stages of their lives, what discussions they're having, um, what activities they're already engaged in and therefore need good information about. Um, and right now we're really making some moralistic choices um, rather than ones that are really rooted in evidence. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to be aware that the whole concept of childhood as it exists now has only been around for you know, a couple of hundred years and it's quite, it's quite based on privilege as well. Hmm. So I, I understand the, the Greens have suggested that um, the, the bill um, be thrown out and redrafted. Um, what do you see happening from here? And, and is there anything for, for people listening at home going, you know what, I was, there's probably some sex involved in me getting here. Uh, I'm probably going to have sex again at some point. Maybe we should be able to talk about sex. What, what can people who are, are mad about this do? Sure. Um, so, yes, the Greens are intending to um, vote against the bill. would love to see um, them go back to the table in drafting. Um, I, I don't think that that's very likely. Um, I, the bill will be read in the Senate um, in the next um, sitting period, which will be in May. Um, and so now is really the time where um, we need to be having conversations um, with, with MPs about our concerns about the bill. Um, and that's certainly something that you can do just, you know, as a, as a citizen or as a member of an electorate. Um, but I think it's, you know, also raising some um, awareness about the scope of the bill. And because I think there are a lot of things about it that really look um, appropriate to the general population. And, and they are. Um, and, and that really allows this, the online content scheme in particular, to kind of come in and do a whole bunch of work while we are 
um, while we're satisfied that some other work is being done. Um, so I, you know, I think um, if you want to get involved on the on the political side, contacting MPs is a great way to do it. Um, we have some information on the, um, I think, on the Scarlet Alliance website, um, but you can also just tweet at us or um, message us in, on whatever platform to get it. Um, we've got some slides and some um, information about the points that we are um, that we're trying to raise. Awesome stuff. Um, so thank you so much for your time. So we've been talking to um, Gala Vanting and Cy Jaden Lilith about the online safety bill. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Music Victoria and uh, a 3D virtual reality platform, Inverse, have recently announced a great uh, concept. Um, it's the Music VR Backers Fund, um, which is a grant uh, available to all Victorian musicians. Uh, you listening right now, you can be involved. Um, and it's designed to um, aid the export of Victoria's music talent to the rest of the world so people can watch it, feel it, see it, touch it, smell it, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you're a Victorian, if you're a musician, a performer, you are invited to apply. Um, it is the first of its kind, um, which is always fun. Um, but applications do close uh, this Sunday, 28th of March. So maybe uh, while you're listening to this, if you do have the, uh, the browser nearby, just chuck it in, um, Music VR Backers Fund. But we're going to break it down. We're now joined uh, by uh, the founder of Inverse, uh, Darren Vuk- Vukasinovic. Sorry, Darren. And uh, Maya Weiss. Um, uh, uh, solo artist and performer um, who's getting involved. Uh, Darren and Maya, thanks for joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having us on. Yes. No trouble. What, what have you two been up to? Tell, tell us about uh, tell us about this fund and, and, and what it is. Uh, look, just taking a little bit of a step back, um, I was part of our um, initial test gigs back in November and we had a lot of fun in putting that together. Um, so Maya led those gigs and was part of our VR stagecraft in putting them um, out there to a, a test audience. Um, a lot of fun in the process, a lot of fun with the audience reactions from that. Uh, off the back of that coming into this year, we really looked at how we can um, take VR as a platform to the broader, um, very talented Victorian music industry. Um, we've got some amazing artists out there with some pretty crazy ideas, really great performance craft. And so in order to sort of provide a channel to the, the broader Victorian music community, we thought a, a grant uh, was the way to go and sort of partnered with Music Vic and VMDO. Um, to to put it out there. It's uh, had some really amazing entries so far and I love how people are thinking about thinking differently. Um, Yeah, Maya? Yeah, well, it's it's just exciting. I think the next step for international reach and all of these kind of just ways where we can keep live music developing online but also still feel a little bit more real than just, you know, a normal kind of... Yeah, just do normal. I don't know what we just say. Like digital stream, digital video, yeah, digital YouTube thing. No, yeah, we're all sick of it's Zoom. The next step. Like, yeah. I mean, last year taught us a few things, right? We're all sick of Zoom and two D screens, mm-hmm. and you know, we spend a lot of time in front of that. We all miss live music. We miss mm-hmm. tangible live event yeah. experiences. A lot of you said first of its kind because I think um, collectively, I speak for all of us, we want more different things. Mm-hmm. You know, things have got to change. They have changed since last year. And uh, part of this is finding new ways to connect fans to music. 
Uh, so, Mayor, I'm interested, what, what, what were you doing last year and, and when this came along in terms of those performances we're talking about? Um, what made you think, you know what, I'm going to give this a crack. This sounds, <laughs> this sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I mean, I was a full-time performer. I still am. But, I mean, most of my career wasn't actually online, so I was doing a lot of events and everything got cancelled and obviously I went kind of insane. And this was one of the first gigs that I actually did for an audience, but watching it back now it just it's quite interesting for me to be able to see the whole so many different angles and so many different kind of ways to immerse into the visual and um yeah I just kind of came straight out of sitting in my bedroom and went on to performing and it was really beautiful I guess to just feel like you're connecting with more people in a different way. It's kind of interesting, uh, uh, having done this show for, for 10 years or so, um, music and technology is not always an easy kind of bedfellow and um, yeah. music has got such a long history of, of being in a particular way and technology moves so quickly, like every few years we're doing a different format and a different technology and sometimes we don't even have time to grow an audience for that yeah. performer, for that technology. So um, understandably musicians can, can sort of be slow to adopt. What, what would you say to anyone who's thinking of doing something differently with the year that we've had? Um, yeah, what, what would you say? And obviously this is a, an example. Yeah, yeah. do you want to say, what do you think? Oh, uh, look, I think there's a couple of things, right? You mentioned technology, music, technology and the arts. You know, unfortunately, a little bit of a bad track um, history in terms of, I think, um, not destroying the economy around the art, but certainly making it more difficult financially for musicians. Mm. So as musicians move in digital streams, you know, there's a loss of revenue. Live events and actual tangible live performances is kind of a little bit of a, um, a, a ground base for artists. They love the performance. They love connecting with the audience. Mm. Uh, and also there's a proper economy around that. Um, what's different about VR and what we're building out with the channel is something that looks much more like live event mm. experiences. And I mean that for the fans, uh, for the performers, yeah. uh, for the scale of reach, but then also I guess the economic models around this. Um, I think, you know, with the bands that we dealt with, none of them did experience VR or done anything in VR before. Um, they absolutely loved the challenge of changing the performance metrics, so doing something different to what they normally do on stage, but understanding that they could bring the fans into different perspectives of their music. Mm -hmm. So. Um, literally having, you know, fans beside the drummer, being up on stage, watching the guitarist change mm. pedals, um, changing the performance metrics and moving through the space. Um, for the artists that we work with, they really embrace it. So they said, okay, I'm going to be able to give my fans a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. It's going to be as tangible as something in real life, yeah. but, um, you know, I'm going to be able to connect with a whole number of them and make it quite personal. And I think that's different to the story of what technology has done to music. It's created... I guess a little bit more separation in terms of channels um, from from the actual performance art itself. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I was really curious to dive into that a little bit deeper because obviously over the last twelve months and the raging dumpster fire of a year, it's been for live gigs and for performers alike. And you know, we've all probably participated in or, or watched a whole bunch of um, sort of at attempts to do things like um, various Zoom gigs, Facebook Live gigs, YouTube Lives, even you know. 
high production quality, let's film our concert and sell tickets and do it as a once-off, um, you know, thing that you buy a ticket to and log in. So I'm really curious, um, you know, perhaps this question's for Maya around um, as a performer, I'm sure it can be really frustrating going from, you know, fabulous venues or, you know, lovely sweaty dive bars to being in your bedroom um, with a camera in front of you. How is, you know, on a really practical level, how does VR feel different as a performer? Well, I, because I'm not really a huge internet person myself, so I really struggled to um, straight away trust the experience because I, I didn't really get it. But I feel now after watching it back, for me, it gives you a way to show people who you truly are in a, in a more three-dimensional format instead of just seeing one shot, you know, or, a, you know, a couple of different angles that is been fed together it it gives you the chance to move around a room and interact with people yourself so it's like I don't know I feel like if I was watching it myself at home I would feel like I'm really getting a way to get to know the artist so for me it was incentive because I feel like I'm a true performer and I'm a natural performer and if I can share that and people can see, oh, this is not just a fabricated video, you know, that she's lip syncing. This is an actual real thing. You know, we can, t- you can see the back of my head. You can see everything. It's, it's like you're actually with me versus just watching something that I've prescribed you to see, if that makes sense. It, it, it just, it's a bit scary. But I think <laughs> if you're, a, you know, you're a performer who really wants to interact with their fan base, it's the perfect way to show people, you know, your true self. It's quite special. Fantastic. So for other Victorian, um, you know, performing artists who are interested in more about the Music VR Backers Fund, I'm kind of curious about what kind of artists are eligible for this particular thing. That's a really great question because I think when we put it out there, there was a little bit of a notion that this is for emerging artists, absolutely emerging artists and creatives at all stages of their careers. So, you know, we've reached out to uh, educational institutions that with up and coming musicians, um, but definitely for established artists as well. And the medium allows them to do something completely different to what they've normally done. Um, there's a degree of, I guess, a sort of reinvention and uh, artistic freedom that comes with that. I do remember when Maya first come in and we're talking about the performance. I said, look, the one thing you're not allowed to do is just stay in one spot. Mm. It was like, <laughs> awesome. I love Great. That. I can work the room. <laughs> I can move around. Um, that's great. And, uh, you know, the, the beauty of VR cameras is, um, you know, the audience can track you anywhere. Um, so it's really open to a really, really broad range. I mean, all genres, the sort of stuff we're seeing coming through are everything from ambient kind of industrial music to folk, mm. um, to First Nations, right through to, you know, rock, punk, etc. Um, and, you know, at all stages of career, we're, we're really interested. I mean, my personal passion as a founder is that um, this tech has got to be accessible to everyone at all stages of their career. And it's the great ideas that um, people bring to the plate that really pushes, I think, technology and culture forward. Does it have any um, uh, implications for like what is a, a live event? Because you know, obviously, um, one of the things Gigs has going for it is you know you had to be there. You know, if you weren't there, you miss it, and so forth. Whereas you know, if you're getting a recording of this, or um, the idea of convenience, like I think if if Maya thinks about you know, um, you may have 
thousands of fans in Victoria and they come together for a gig every now and again and it's amazing. But if you think about tens of thousands of fans around the world, yes. do, do, you, do you start to think differently about, about your audience and saying, well, if I can reach them all around the world, then time doesn't matter anymore. You know, I can record it in my studio on a Sunday morning and they can watch it on a Friday night whenever they want to watch it. Like how, how do you think about your, well, your audience it's a now? Thing. I think in Australia, I, I feel like our music scene is unbelievable, no doubt. But there is so much going on overseas when it comes to different styles of music and different appreciations of people. And I think I spent a lot of time traveling. So a big incentive for me was having this incredibly different video that I could, you know, push that gets shared out into the world. But also it's it's a way to kind of maybe even connect people before we can internationally travel again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be a bit of a thing for some musicians. <laughs> um, and also, like, could we have it in different venues? Like, would you be able to play on the International Space Station and have everyone in zero gravity floating around while you <gasps> slap it. that bass or we, pluck a few strings? Some of the things that we are working on are insanely in that category yeah. and even further. So yeah. working with a couple of music labels with some artists that so have got some pretty far out ideas. They really want to bring the audience kind of, you know, through their eyes into the world of their music. Mm. And for some musicians, that world is completely different to the one that that we kind of live in um, or can physically perform in. And so we can really bring a performance into a completely ethereal space as well. And just going back onto the other point as well, we do stream this as a live thing. I mean, at the very notion of it, we want people to be experiencing it as it's happening Mm. through VR. That's a core part of what we're trying to push. I get kind of VOD and watching things as live or delayed live. Um, when you're on a platform, you're really experiencing that as a, um, a live experience. It's hard to, to sort of differentiate, but when you watch content, you're just seeing content online. But when you're dropped into a venue and it's happening around you, it does genuinely feel live. Um, and getting people to be able to actually share that experience socially in VR as well. So three or four mates, you know, they might be in Germany. They might wake up in the morning and go, hey, I want to see that Maya gig, and they go and watch it together. But it's like they're going out to the pub together and watching this performance in a dive bar. It's really quite different, I think, the experience that you have in VR um, when you're watching those experiences, whether they're pre-recorded or not. Mm. Do you think um, uh, venues and, and you talked about the economy built around, um, you know, uh, alcohol sales and, um, you know, people coming to places, do, do you think they might change as well? Um, are there opportunities for the people who potentially have something to lose from stuff like this? One of the reasons I actually kick-started what we're doing is um, to help the venues. So looking at the holistic economy is not just the musicians, it's the venues. It's the venues that we leave when they shut down. It's venue capacity. Kind of liken this idea that a venue can have, you know, the scale of Rod Laver but the intimacy of a dive bar. And I think economically that can start to make sense because the fans have an intimate experience in a dive bar. And, you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, I'm talking to quite a few iconic venues around Melbourne as well as this is sort of an adjunct and then reinventing themselves as this kind of virtual destination. You know, I tend to believe that a few mates in the US and a couple in the UK and one in Sydney might like to jump in and hang out a you know, particular <laughs> uh, dive bar or iconic venue, literally sort of hanging out in that space and then going and seeing a gig. Um, it's kind of different mechanics that we're trying to create here, but it's about you know, being able to experience that. For the venues, obviously, they've got um, an experience to sell as well as the music. And mm. that's kind of where we're heading with VR. And mm. a few of the venues were talking about, you know, some cool ideas. Maybe I, I buy a ticket to go out to, you know, a great pub 
um, I might get a bit of beer uh, sent to me from you know local beer stock or some um, coasters or there's a whole different sort of set of economies that we can start to create around this. Yeah, they just don't really have a tote or a um, old bar in Sydney, do they? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's fighting words. <laughs> Come and get me. Come and get me. <laughs> um, so if people do want to get involved, where, where can they get their hands on some cash to, to, to do this thing? What should they do? Uh, as in the festival or VR itself? Oh, no. So I think in terms of uh, grants and so forth, and I, I understand I may, may have read it wrong, but... There's, there's grants to sort of get involved in this, and is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. Backus Fund um, is open to everyone, as I said. Um, if you search Music VR Backus Fund, go to uh, Music Victoria, um, you can find a link to it. Uh, the artists are paid, or the winning or the granted artists, there'll be 20 overall, are paid 2500 to perform. All the performance, um, you know, visuals and VR recordings also covered as well. So artists get paid out of that. Um, so that's a first starting point. And then more broadly, we're going to, you know, start working with um, different artists over time to craft performances as well. Nice. Darren Mayer, um, sounds ace. Um, sounds like you're enjoying it too, which is which is great. Um, look forward to seeing more uh, more gigs coming out and, uh, yeah, more gigs on the space station would be great. Yes, thank you so much for talking we'll to us. We'll see you both there. <laughs> yeah, see you <laughs> Thanks so much. Triple R. Bro, you've got uh, some space news. Oh, look, anything to do with space gets very exciting. So um, the first controlled flight on another planet is imminent with NASA's Ingenuity helicopter getting ready for its first flight on Mars, um, which should actually be happening on April the 8th or later, depending on weather conditions. So stay tuned, follow the NASA channels, I guess, for good news. Mm. And uh, the City of Melbourne has an open innovation competition for 2021. First launched in 2018, the open innovation competition is is the City of Melbourne's annual challenge to solve a city issue. Maybe uh, there's a road that's a little bit too tight and uh, you've got a solution for it or something like that. Maybe put a Tesla truck on it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we can widen all the roads around Australia to get Tesla trucks again. Um, But yeah, interested this year's competition closed 2nd of May. Thank you to uh, thank you to you for listening in. Thank you to our guests, uh, Gala Sai, Darren, and Maya. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.